This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, folks, very excited to be joined here again by Congressman Don Young. How you doing, Congressman? I'm doing great. You know, this weather up here is awesome. When I think about D.C., I think, do I have to go back? But I'm going back this uh, actually tonight. Tonight, wow. Yeah. So this is day after, we're recording this day after the election. The day after night. the election, I'll be going Wednesday night, flying back. And uh, we have a vote on uh, Saturday on the postal situation, which is really moat now because the uh, commissioner has uh, taken back any changes so that until after the election, mm-hmm. so they can't be accused of anything. So I have to go back and vote, though, and that's one of the problems we do. And long ways away, it's about a we come right back up here on Monday, and uh, that's about eleven thousand miles round trip. So long flight, a lot of flying. So I want to talk a little bit later about the postal service. Um, but for now, you you last last night had an election. You had two opponents who didn't really do much, and you got uh, I think eighty. 80% or something? I, I haven't good. looked at the percentage. I was pleased. Uh, I was a little concerned. Um, we, we won't know until all the absentees are in, you know, the percentage-wise. But this is what we call a preseason game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really not the major game. It's not the Super Bowl. That's on November 3rd. I believe it's November 3rd. And uh, that's the big one. So I, I was pleased. Uh, the turnout was decent. Uh, and August is a tough time to have an election anyway because people are fishing and all the other things. So, uh, but you know, I've been through this, my 25th election. That's so wild. there's a lot of elections. That's and, wild. And, uh, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I was pleased. I was surprised at some of the local races as I'm sure some other people were, but, uh, my race and Dan Sullivan's race, uh, came out fairly well. Um, we expect to do better in the general election and I hope to be back in Washington, DC representing the people of Alaska again for another two years. So we talked a bit last night, you came on our election central, uh, remote virtual. And, um, you said you've had in the past a couple of times, people have run against you twice. They've lost and ran again. And I think what was the term you used? You've, they they haven't done very well the second time. No, they usually don't. And I don't say it can't happen, but I'm just saying that why would anybody vote for somebody when they voted against them before? And, uh, that's the, the issue. And, and so I, I'm, um, confident, uh, you know, I've had, I think this is my third or fourth, I said last night, I think my third time where I've had, um, a person run twice for this seat and, uh, you know, um, one a year and then two years later run again. Mm-hmm. John Devons was one of them. Peggy Beggies was another one. And uh, I beat him better in the second time than I did the first time. Do you think with um, everything going on now on the, on the national level with the Biden Trump race, uh, all kinds of issues happening, you know, with, with this kind of black lives matter and a lot of police brutality, um, do you think that's going to have any effect up here? And well, it, it'll have some effect. Uh, I think the Trump election, uh, Biden election will have some effect, um, you know, and uh, you don't know, but I, I think that'll be, uh, something we have to watch and have to adjust if necessary uh, about the, the campaign itself. Right now, we're doing everything we usually do and uh, adding a lot to it, a lot of Facebook, a lot of social media. That's changed. When I first started running, it was all 
very frankly, minimum of TV. There wasn't much TV. Most of it was radio. Uh-huh. And um, we still use a lot of radio. We find we get better bang in the buck than we do uh, on TV. But there's still a lot of TV. But the big thing is social media now. And we're trying to, you know, keep up with that and making sure that um, people recognize that I am I am uh, the congressman for all of Alaska. And TV doesn't necessarily do that. You're usually trying to convey a short period of time and get people's yeah. attention. And so they remember the name. So, you know, it, it, the, the system's changed. Uh, you know uh, you know about knocking on doors. I knocked on a lot of doors when I first started running. In Fairbanks, I knocked on 10,000 doors, and they say you can't do that. You can do it if you remember one thing. If you ask if you have any questions, and they say no, then you leave. Don't ask them a second time. <laughs> I've knocked on doors where sometimes you get in a really great conversation with somebody, and then you realize, oh, I've been here 30 minutes. You can't Please, do that. You, know? you can't do that. You take the most time. So in the past, I was going to ask, what do you attribute? I mean, there was the Sean Parnell one that was really close to the primary, and then there was the Ethan Berkowitz one where before those elections, I think a lot of there was some polling, you know, people were thinking, he might, you know, Congressman might lose. What, how, how do you, what do you attribute all these when they were close in the past? How do you pull, how do you pull it off? Well, it's work, hard work, and it's, I've never looked upon this race as Don Young's race. This is a race about for the state of Alaska, and I think a lot of Alaskans, or most Alaskans, sit back and think about it that election day. Well, who can really get the job done? And they, they recognize, although I may be different in some co- uh, members of Congress, and I will admit that, um, I'm pretty pretty dedicated and very aggressive when necessary. I'm uh, not always politically correct, and they recognize that the, the heart's there and the work ethics there and they decide to vote for me and the other person most elections by the way they don't vote for the person they vote against the other person they don't vote that person but in my case a lot of times well he can do the job i don't like what he said i don't know how he conducts himself but remember the big thing alaska is in my heart and i really will fight for this state and i've done that and i think they recognize that uh i've got some uh notes here you um you were Won an award recently, most effective member of Congress from the Georgetown School of Public Policy. I actually asked a few friends about that. And, you know, I think when a lot of folks hear Don Young, they, they think what you had said before and you know, very conservative, maybe, you know, polarizing, maybe not politically correct. But there's some other awards here. The um, Jefferson Hamilton Award for Bipartisanship. That's a new one. So I got it. <laughs> I know I'm reading some I yeah. did some research and have some notes. So what? why do you, you know? Because why do you think some folks maybe don't, when you when they hear that, they get surprised? Well, uh, a lot of us media, uh, presentation of media, I mean, they, I say this, especially the print media and the TV, um, they really broadcast what's attention-getting. They don't look at the background of what's happened. Um, like I say, you can go into Congress right now and you can ask, who's the congressman from Alaska? They'll know Don Young. Huh. And that's a good thing. Didn't, uh, you said last night you have a your own chair or something? I have my own chair. Uh, I'm the only congressman in Congress that has his own chair. And uh, that's not by House rules. Uh, that's a Don Young rule. I started this 25 years ago. And uh, I did it when I was chairman of, uh, of uh, resources. And I started that in. And I found out because if you stay in one spot, then the people that want to c- communicate with you uh, will know where you are and come uh, yeah. talk to you. And then I found out something else. I could look out across the the body and we're, you know, having a boat and you can see who's talking to which person and back and forth and you figure, okay, now what they're putting together. And then I, I get somebody to find out what they're talking about. So if you're walking around, you don't notice who's talking to everybody else. So you don't gain the knowledge where I would have the knowledge of who's trying to put a deal together. So with the Senate, there's a hundred with the house, there's 435, right? Hundreds 
kind of more manageable. You can probably get to know everybody a little bit. Yep. With 435, I mean, there's... It's tough. You don't, you don't know everybody, right? No, I know the faces. I can't give all their names. Remember, I've served with 3,400 people since I've been elected. And uh, there's a changeover every, every mm-hmm. two years. Uh, but they all know me. That's what he said. They'll know me. So and how often does somebody come up to you on the street? Oh, Congressman Young, hey, I... You not know. on the street. <laughs> I'm talking about on the floor. Well, both, but I mean, people come to you and just, and you say, oh, who's... Yeah, I don't know who they are. I recognize <laughs> the faces. And uh, it, it's it's part of a, you know, I often think about that. That's probably one of the things I didn't have as a elected official is that ability to remember names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had an opportunity to serve with two people in my lifetime that had amazing memories. And Bill Egan, Governor Egan, had the best. He could remember anybody, everybody, where they was and what they were doing if he met them one time. And was amazing. And if you think of it, an asset as a, for yeah. a politician. The other one's Keith Miller. Those two governors were very good about remembering who people were. I had a lady working for me named Maxine, and we were in uh, uh, University of Alaska in Fairbanks. And a recognition for Governor Egan. She had talked to him one time, fifteen years before, and she went up the reception line. He says, "Maxine, how are you? How's Howard?" That was her husband, and. and you, I mean, she would have voted for him. I don't care if he was whatever it was because right. he, and I always admired that. I just can't quite do that. I always say, how are you doing? And I try to th- get my Rolex in my head <laughs> trying to figure out who it is. So, so, so with all these members in Congress, uh, you, you're the longest serving. Um, I, I don't know the mechanics of that. I mean, could, could you right now pick up the phone? Like, could you call Nancy Pelosi and talk to her? Or is I, that, do, I do that. You can, you could do that. I can do that. I can. Wow. Uh, and they answer my phone calls. That's a big thing. In fact, is uh, I just talked to Steny Hoyer last week on the census problem, and uh, I said if we if we can't get an extension, which we're going to try to do, can we expedite the census taking because they are going to stop it at September one? Uh-huh. Excuse me, September thirtieth. They were going to give us to the last of October, and they put it back. And we had a conversation today with the census board, the chief of the census and, uh, nationally, and Alaska's doing a lot better than I thought we were doing, and he gave us reasons what we're doing and how we're going to expedite it. So it's important that everybody gets counted, and anybody listening to the show, uh, make sure you're counted because that affects not only federal servings and ser- uh, federal sharing, it affects the next uh, legislative body as far as not mine, but uh, you know, redistricting, that, yeah. redistricting, and that's crucially important. So everybody should be counted. Uh, so, you know, I'm able to do that. Steady and I, we're going to introduce this bill to extend it to next June. Uh, we probably won't have to do that now, but we're going to talk about it. So another thing I wanted to ask you about was the big news um, this last week with Anwar finally yeah. After all this time and this bill, and they're going to be doing some lease sales. Now, this has been talked about since that secret well was not drilled in, the, I think, the 60s, right? Yeah, right. It was, it's been a long, long time. Uh, we discussed this, and people forget that. We discussed this in Alaska National Lands Act uh, about the importance of 1002 areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody agreed, including the environmental, Mo Udall and Scoop Jackson and all the rest of them agreed that we leave this open for oil development if the Congress okayed it. It was off limits to make it in a wilderness area in a, in a wildlife. Now, they've tried to do it in the following years to make it a wilderness area. It's not available. Uh, but we kept it open. I passed that bill uh, 13 times, actually 14 times, but 13 times prior to the one it became law. And uh, out of the house, bipartisan, get it done. And then I got into I couldn't do it today because of the makeup of the Congress, but I did it. And um, then uh, uh, we... Passed it out of the Senate once, and then Bill Clinton vetoed it. 
Uh, then every time before, after that, we they lost it in the Senate. And finally this time, uh, Senator Murkowski and Senator Solomon were able to attach it uh, to the uh, tax bill. And, of course, right. we passed it in the House and the Senate, and, and the president um, signed it. And it became legal because Congress asked them to have oil sales and development in the 1002 areas. It's not the total refuge, but the 1002 areas. That way, we have an opportunity to provide oil to the pipeline, which is crucial to the state of Alaska. Uh, if we don't have the flow of oil to the pipeline, then we got a real problem because under the original Pipeline Act, which is my bill, uh, I had to accept the fact that if it was stopped, if it was no longer useless, it has to be torn up. If you ever tear it up, you won't have another oil line. We'll never build another oil line. Everybody said, well, that won't happen. Well, it's in the law. And that means we'd have to change the law, and that'd be well. That, that, that was a point of contention with the. Uh, I actually wrote about that. The Hill Corp issue was who's going to assume um, the uh, responsibility uh, of tearing the pipeline. Yeah, up. There's, there's a term for that. I'm, I'm blanking on the term. Um, the, the, the you know destroy and determination. Yeah. Well, right. the, 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 the 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 take take it apart basically. Yeah, take it apart. And um, and I think BP's actually retained that. Yeah, but for, it, we it may not happen. But keep that in mind. That's been the ultimate goal of the extreme environmentalists to stop any oil well, flow to eliminate the pipeline. When once that happens, um, not only does it affect the state, but it affects the whole infrastructure to delivering oil to lower forty eight. I was I was supposed to do it. It didn't happen because of COVID. I'm still trying to do it. But I was actually able to get a hold of Mike Gravel, Senator Gravel in California. He's still around, and I was supposed to go down there in March and do a pod some podcast with him. But the COVID thing happened. Um, you got to do that because there's only one person left other than myself that I, was involved in that, that program. I want to do it. And I talked to him on the phone. I got his number from somebody who know, knew him. And he, uh, I guess he was pretty involved in the, the, the TAP stuff too, wasn't he, back in the... Um, I want to say not as much uh, in a sense. Uh, like I say, in, in that conference, uh, we had myself, uh, Mo Udall, uh, Scoop Jackson, Ted Stevens wasn't on it, Mike wasn't on it. Uh, I was the only congressman that was involved in the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline in the conference, and that's where the real action took place. I passed it out of the House by 13 votes, by the way, and some of the biggest opposition came from my party. Uh And uh, we passed it out of the House, and the Senate then passed it. That was the the big bet on – because in my bill, I had no lawsuits could be filed. People don't recognize that's where we were able to build a pipeline. And on the Senate side, and Mike may correct me on this, on the Senate side, Mike offered that same amendment. And we very nearly lost the uh, uh, bill. It was a tie vote. And that's from Spiro Agnew mm-hmm. passed. Uh, pass, uh, that's what I tell people. We Alaska, Alaskans owe Spiro Agnew. That's down. right. And, and then we went to conference. That's really where the bill was written. Uh, and it ended up doing it. And, it, you know, I had a lot of support because I had a lot of help because we had an embargo. We couldn't get gasoline. And with 39 cents a gallon, you couldn't get gasoline. You go to had lines. It's worse than the pandemic in the, in the, in the drive-in uh, restaurants. This is the license plate thing where yeah. odd or even, yeah, right? That's right. And it was a mess. But that helped me. You follow what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That helped me. And, we, and, we've, and then three years later, we pumped our first barrel of oil. And uh, 1976, I believe it was. So uh, that was a great project. I think it's one of the marvelous uh, man-made structures uh, in the world, uh, you think about it. Is there, um, no, this has been passed, the Anwar, the lease sales are going. Is there any risk or scenario where, let's say, if Biden were to win, could they undo this? Oh, I mean, they were, they're going to try. I've heard that. So. Oh, absolutely. They already introduced bills in the House side. Um, my, my, I call it climate change freaks, you know, the fossil fuels can't be used, period. 
Uh, they've introduced that bill because they know there is oil there. Um, and uh, to undo what we did, again, I'm hoping that we control the Senate. If we not, the two senators have extreme a lot of control as long as they have the filibuster act, they can stop it. Uh, Biden would propose no sales. He could stop that. And I'm trying to, very frankly, trying to get a sale before the election or before January mm-hmm. 1, if Trump was to lose, or January 12th, I guess. Uh, so we could have a sale. And that, the crucial cruciality of that is that they be harder in a court case if, if yeah. they take us to court, if there's a sale. So, so you're talking about the cl- climate, you know, uh, you know, people in the, in the environmentalists. Have you talked, do you, have you dealt with C- Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez? Do you meet with her I, or talk to her? I, I have not met with her. She is not a very nice person. I want you to know that up front. Uh, she probably just doesn't think I'm a very nice guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, uh, she's so full of herself that um, it, she does not represent her people. And that's what hurts me. You are supposed to be the congressman for the people. She's done nothing for her district. She could be beat. She's not going to be beat this year. But she has to change her ways. So it'll catch up with her. Right now, she's the national attention, the media attention, you know, the, that sort of thing, and the squad. Do you deal with that squad? I was going to ask you about that the squad. The squad is uh, not on my radar right now. I deal with people that try to get things done. And they're not really constructive. And they're, to me, they're destructive. And that's the difference of opinion, a lot of people. But if you look at what came out of the transportation bill, which she, she was involved in with Nancy, uh, the fact is it's not a transportation bill. It's a, a uh, governing uh, uh, standard where there will be no emissions period by the year 2025. Well, you know that's not going to happen, but you know they're gonna, there will be no emissions. That means no cars that are gasoline-driven, no trucks that are diesel-driven, no airplanes. I can go down the line. That's how far, far left it was. So, you know, I, I, th- I think, you know, looking forward, we, we understand fossil fuels aren't going to be around forever, but this kind of radical, we're going to cut them off tomorrow. You can't do it. It's not, not practical. It's, it's not only not practical, the economic impact would be awesome. You, it's, that's no joke. You think about the millions mm-hmm. of jobs involved directly with a fossil molecule. Uh, and again, this goes back. We're always going to be drilling oil because there's other uses for oil. Uh, a lot, you know, if you look at a barrel of 44 gallons uh, per barrel, there's only about 19% of the barrels goes into uh, gasoline and diesel fuel. The rest is in medicines, uh, plastics, uh, which bothered me too, but plastics, uh, furniture. Um, most of this equipment in this room, if you look at it, has got an oil base somewhere. Uh, it's one of the molecules, a fossil molecule, is one of the easiest molecules to reconfigure into an existing object. And so we're going to use it. There's always going to be drilling. There's always going to be a need as population increases. They want to eliminate it for propulsion. Are we going to be able to do that? In some degrees. I still don't think you're going to have a, an electric airplane, for instance. They could high, high, haul 350 people. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I don't quite visualize it. Of course, they didn't think that the Wright brothers would be successful either. <laughs> but I don't know. They weren't for a while. They weren't. That's what I'm saying. Well, they were. <laughs> but, uh, go ahead. I wanted to ask you about the, the story with Rebecca Trimble, the woman in Bethel, um, that I actually wrote about. Back in, I kind of did the first story on that. A uh, woman in Bethel married to a dentist who's military, um, brought to this country as a baby, barely, you know, just born, adopted. Um, and then fast forward 20 some years, she tries to get a, a real ID in Washington before they moved to Bethel. And there was this issue where they said, oh, well, you're not actually a citizen. We don't have a record. You voted and after high school in 2008 and there's a attempt to deport her. And now that, first story came out in March and now we're to the point where you've introduced legislation and Senator Murkowski, Senator Sullivan have introduced a private bill. 
So could you talk a little bit about what a private bill is and um, in this situation, you know, particular? Well, what, one thing that there's very few private bills. I think there's been five private bill bills in my career. Um, and uh, mainly because of ASCAM. Uh, you mentioned that. Yeah. Before. So the ASCAM in the seventies, there was the, the Arab kind of, they were given yep. citizenship to get money for these casinos. Right. And so they eliminated it. Uh, but we've had five cents and it, it's possible. Uh, I'm going to have a, a television, I have to have a contact with her uh, and so that, that the committee will see it. I've got uh, Chairman Na- uh, Nadler is going to help me on this one. She, he believes, thanks for the story, by the way, brought it to attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we think we have a, a great chance of getting this passed. And, and in doing so, she becomes a citizen um, by act of Congress. And uh, this whole thing was, I mean, just very frankly stupid. Uh, here's a baby. She's a baby. She doesn't even, can't even walk or, you know, anything else. And she never knew she was not American citizen until she applied and they told you don't have your birth certificate, yada, 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 and they're going to deport her. Uh, that's nonsense. And I think we've got that stopped. In the defense bill, we put a provision in there, the military, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully it will stop it. But to make it sure for her, we have to have this private bill. And I think before the session's over, that will happen. We're going to give it the best world. Uh, and I haven't found anybody objects to it. So uh, private bill is just like a regular bill. You have to pass it both but bodies. It's, it's and been, then... Yeah, but it's for a person, mm-hmm. not a community, not a collective group, not a state. Uh, it's a person's private bill. And doing that because it, it would had led to um, misuse, uh, but this is a justifiable instance and I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. So if it passes the House, passes the Senate, then the president has to sign he, it, correct? And he'll sign it in a heartbeat. And, Great. You know, we, we'll get, I'm, that's one of the bills I think we'll get done in this rest of the session. A lot of Alaskans don't understand it. Our working days are not many to begin with, and they're a lot less now. If you think about it, in August we've been on call, but we've been back in the district. Um, we'll go back on probably September 8th, maybe a little later, and then we're out on the 1st of October. So you look at our total working days, it's probably maybe 14 working days. And that's not healthy. I, one of my biggest complaints at the Congress is has changed. We used to work um, five, five days a week uh, for four weeks, and then we take one week off. Uh, we had 12 trips a year back to the district. By the way, Ralph J. Rivers, our first congressman, came back to the state, make a guess. Uh, how many times? Yeah. I'm going to say not very often, but you, you hit it one time. <laughs> Second, they, they used to just folks a long time ago, you said this before, but didn't folks used to kind of, they just lived in DC. For they the lived, most part. Yes. They lived in DC. That's what I'm saying. So the second Congressman who was, I'm questioning, who was the second Congressman? After statehood? Well, Ralph J. Rivers yeah. was, was the first one. Who was, that's a great, I wish I, oh man. I'm going to get you. <laughs> Howard Pollack. All right, yeah. And Howard was a very popular uh, congressman, served two terms, and he came back four times. And then who was after him, Begich? And then after him, Begich, Begich came back 12 times because that was a limitation. He only bought 12 tickets. I mean, it's all they gave us to come back to your district. And so Alaska, just even back then, you know, so far, it's still far away. But, uh, well, 12 times, okay. Then in 1975, they gave us 52 round-trip tickets. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which I did not want them. I said, give me the money so I can run my office better. I don't want it to come. But I did. I came back 36 times. 
Oh, he must be a million miler a long well, time a ago. A long time ago, yeah. but 36 times. And, and my past wife, my dead wife, uh, met me at the door on the 36th time and says, I'll divorce you if you keep this up. Huh. You're no good here. You're no good there. And she was right. So I've now gone back. I come back to the state. I would say on average once a month. And it sounds little, but, you know, 10 days is what I usually do. I like the old days, but I limit myself. Now, once in a while, I come back. If there's something really emerging, I have to come back. I'll come back. But we're 11,000 miles round trip, if you get my point. I also think it weakened the Congress when we decided to go home every weekend. We don't have the continuity we used to have. We don't have the relationships with one another. That's why the bipartisanship, you know, is hard to accomplish because you really don't know the person. Um, I, you know, Gary Studs was a dear friend of mine um, from Massachusetts, and uh, I, I, I went to his district, and I got to understand his district. And we, you know, we'd be around on weekends when we didn't go home, so we understood one another. He was a D, and I was an R. He was chairman. I was a ranking member, and I think that's the way it would work. But we changed that now, so everybody goes home on the weekends. No one knows one another, and it used to be the wives communicated with one another. They knew one another. The kids yeah. knew one another. But that changed, and I probably won't be able to change it back because everybody wants to fly back and forth. You know, well, and so it's so. I mean, you have the really hardcore kind of Republican people, then you have the hardcore Democrat, and then they it's like the base. They want to go back, and yeah. you know, it's it's um it's very polarizing, but very polarizing. And and again, by not going home, you had to. You know, I played golf with Tip O'Neill. I mean, I'm really. Uh, I mean, I'm I've done. A lot with those men. By the way, I'm a most bipartisan member of the Congress, too. People forget that. Working with, even now, the, I say the crazies, I still work with a, the body as a whole on the other side. Because I have to. I'm the only congressman. And the only congressman from Alaska has a lot of issues. And to solve those issues, you have to do it collectively. Well, the article we talked about, uh, we did last year with you, with the cannabis tour. Yeah. You you had worked with um, um, in Paul, Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii uh, oh, uh, well, Couple of them, A.Z. Morono and uh, yes, uh, Jesse. What's her name? Uh, the lady ran for president. Tulsi uh, Gabbard. Yeah, Tulsi yeah. yeah. Gabbard. By the way, she's in Alaska right now. Um, Is she really? Yeah, down on Lucian Chain. She's down there working at un- un- Alaska. She's military yet, you know. So oh, she is right. Yeah. They're down there uh, working on a military project, which I encourage for transportation and harbor work. So she's down there being uh, an advisor, it's, and she's a sweetheart, by the way. Many a great president, but she didn't get it very far. Couldn't get the traction. So she, you, you work with her and others on this cannabis, on this basically trying to fix this situation where you can't you can't put money in the bank. No, and that's the biggest problem. People don't understand. Well, he Don Young, you know, he's a right winger. He's a conservative. Why is he doing this? The people of Alaska voted for it to legalize it. If it's legal, let's make it legal. Let's make sure we follow the business model. And that's being able to bank. Under federal law, you can't bank. And it's it's bad. I mean, even as you know, one of the problems we have here in the state, we had I think two testing areas, or three testing areas, where they have the lab that test for it to make sure it's pure. Da 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 da. And one of the labs was in a rented uh, mall in Fairbanks, I believe it was. And because the mall had a, a loan from the bank, they had to ask the the cannabis lab to leave. Because federal law. Oh, because they're, yep. And wow. so what I'm trying to do, and, and we're going to be successful, I've got a lot more support than I did two, four, four years ago, that allow it to be a business so you have legitimate bar, uh, banking and make sure that people can borrow, can do whatever you want, but don't have that free cash laying around. You heard the story about people going to the oh. bank and the airplanes with $50,000 in a bag. Yeah, think about it. And and that just asks for trouble. That's, that's not good. So we're working on that, and I think we're going to make it. And, 
And, I, and again, I believe in states' rights and states' individualism. And this Alaskans voted for it, and I want to make sure it's run correctly, not by overregulation, but they well, are they are agreeable or acceptable to existing laws. And that's what I'm working on. A minute ago, you mentioned golf with Tip O'Neill. I think I heard he used to play. Was it racquetball with George Bush? George, George H. Herbert. George H. Bush. You guys uh, were buddies, or oh, you, we were, he, he was in Congress, right? Oh, no, he, yeah, but I he wasn't there when I was there. He'd already moved on to his bigger and greater things. C, I think CIA director, wasn't he? Yeah, was a CIA director, but. Um, uh, also ambassador to China, people. Right, that, that's right. Yeah. But no, he, he was one of my better friends in the sense I played racquetball or paddleball. We call it paddle, dumb man racquetball. It's one wall. Great game, fast game. But he was a very good athlete, but he was uh, one of my opponents. Bill Archer was my partner. Who's Bill Archer? He was a congressman, head of Ways and Means in Texas. Great congressman. Um, and, um, I mean, big time. And, uh, of course, he had Sonny Montgomery, who was another congressman. And so the president and Sonny Montgomery would stand us, too. And I did one thing I've always been very proud of. I bet him a dollar a game with the understanding that if he wins, I sign a dollar bill to him, Congressman Don Young. If I win, he has to sign a bill, President George H. Bush. Oh, wow. Did you win? Oh, yes. You, you, you have it? Oh, I won. I've got a sack of them. I gave my daughter because they're worth a lot of money someday. But he, he was, it was a com- competition. Oh, but wow. I, I loved it because, uh, you know, it gave me a more, little more incentive. And uh, I, um, you know, he, he was just one of my better friends. And he's, you know, up until he died, he always, he'd call me maybe once a month or two months. Call me Moose because Alaska <laughs> and we discussed things and he's just a good guy. So, so he was president. What you, he would just you'd meet him or he'd call you up or how? No, I'd call him up or he'd call me up, you know, and it, we, we have a gym in a Rayburn building and I'd say, Mr. President, uh, I'm available three o'clock and he'd say, Oh, I think I can make that. Oh and he'd, he'd come down with 10 secret service guys. That was always a, a hoot. And, uh, they play. Oh no. They, protecting him after all he's on the court with me and i'll never forget one day and i know this is recorded but i keep this in mind that uh, jeff uh, that um he had a real small dink shot in the corner really a good shot very hard to recover yeah right he did it to me three times and on the third one after he you know got the point i turned him i says i'm thinking a word with starts with a p and it's not president (laughs) And you should have seen the Secret Service guys. They, they were not happy with me. Of course, he thought it was funny because, he, you know, he was a good player. So were he, they inside the court or were they kind of behind? They're right around the walls. You know, oh, you know, that must have been weird playing ball with all these guys watching. You know, they, they, they're not intrusive. They're just there. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's sort of fun to watch, you know. Um, I wanted to ask you, too. That's, that's a crazy story. Um I want to ask you about the, the Postal Service thing. It's been in the news a lot right now. And a lot, a lot for Alaska, specifically, the Postal Service's bypass mail and all these things are very important. Um, There's a bill, I think I was reading, you were introduced a bill? I've had a bill, yes. And one is to help fund the post office again and try. The main thing was to reform the, the Postal Service itself. See, we people don't forget the history of the post office. It was created by Congress of the Constitution. Yep. And uh, what what's happened over the years... Uh, is that in reality, we got away from control from the Congress controlling the post office. It's really not a government agency anymore. It's controlled by a quasi-private 
um, company. It's controlled by the government. We don't really control it. People are going to say, what do you mean? It's like Alaskan Railroad. Same, yeah. same model. And uh, we also put in there provisions, though, that don't allow the post office to reorganize. We should have reorganized it a long time ago. I have support from the Postal Service. I have support from the, the postal unions. I have the whole bit. Of, we need to allow the post office to be run better. Well, didn't they do a thing years ago where they made them forward fund their pensions? Well, no, that's part of it. I'm saying so we didn't, we, we have not done what we should have done because one of the biggest things and why they're behind, they forward their pensions and it's about $10 billion and they're always in the hole because they forward in the pensions. It shows up on the balance sheet. As that's a, right, yeah. as being in the hole. And then of course, modern technology hit them big time. Uh, you know, they made their money from postal rates, uh, stamps, et cetera, et cetera. Well then to make ends meet and fill that, uh, punching deal up, they had to raise the stamp cost and the cost of mailing things. And when you do that, you make it more attractive to use your iPads and your computer system and email. You know, the use of letters has gone dramatically down. I mean, it's not there. The biggest money maker they got are packages yet. They do a pre- and bulk mail, which is big, but it still doesn't meet the criteria. But the importance to Alaska is we are really dependent upon the Postal Service here. Other states and other communities can use uh, FedEx and, and UPS and other couriers. We can't do it in the state. You could probably do it in Anchorage. It's a large area. You might do it in Fairbanks. Uh, probably not in Juneau, Petersburg, or Wrangell, or those communities, but definitely not in Eakin, Fort Yukon, etc. It's got to be the federal post office. It's not going to do And I understand why FedEx wouldn't go in those places. There's actually no money in it. It's yeah. a subsidized utility for the good of the American people. Has been forever. Even the Pony Express, you think about it. We fed the horses. I sounds kind of funny. But uh, <laughs> now we have this problem, and it's a political thing. They say, well, uh, Trump administration. Trump administration had nothing to do with it. The chairman is not picked by the president. It's picked by the board. And the board was all appointed by uh, Clinton and Obama. Uh, so... They shouldn't even have the president involved in this. He has nothing. Now, well, we got pictures of them taking post by, uh, mailboxes down. Yes, that's been going on. If you check the history of, in every administration, they're wore out or rusty or not used. They take them down. Well, of course, they saw a picture. We're trying to stop the mailing violence. You know, it's all politics. It has nothing, no reality. And you know, and by the way, only six states use mail-in ballots. And that's another thing. Six states. And by the way, the states have the right to decide how you're going to vote, not the federal government. The federal government only puts the day in, November 3rd. That's the only thing they do. And November, whatever, is the first Tuesday in November. So they're the only ones that do it. So we have, we have this, this, this challenge that the post office in Alaska, we have absentee ballots. And that's a mail-in ballot, but you have to ask for it. What the president brought up is states that were sending out to every mailbox, everybody in the state, a bare ballot even though they're not registered. Well, we, we did, you know, Anchorage moved to vote by mail several yeah. years ago, and we did a video because we were kind of curious how it worked. And what we found out was this wasn't something they just did overnight. There was a lot of buildup to that system. It's been used, I think, three times now, the vote by mail in Anchorage. And, um, you know, there's a whole system in place that they built. It wasn't something they just did overnight. No, but yeah. if I'm not mistaken, though, each one of those people got a ballot or a registered vote. Uh, that, yeah, so what you do is you get, uh, I think, a month or something before the election, yeah. you get a card to make sure that that's you. That's right. And then um, they only send it to your address. Your, so if you moved, you wouldn't get it. They that's don't right. forward it. But see, but the, what the concern is, is people will say, okay, they're going to harvest these ballots. 
that you send out, no one's registered. Everybody gets them free if, you have, if there's a mailing address. Uh-huh. You could move, and that ballot could come there, and somebody that was in that apartment you moved from could get the ballot. That's what they're objecting to. The, the, on, on the Anchorage level, the, you know, there's a, a check in place. You sign it, and they have a signature on file. Yep. But, you know, if you're doing a bunch of states, and I've said this, who have never done, you know, vote-by-mail system, not absentee, but a vote-by-mail system, if they have no system in place, like Anchorage has a system in place, yep. they, they spent a long time putting together, um, you know, for checks and balances, then I could see where people would be. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with if the checks and balances are in place. And that's what they're proposing now is the check and balance are on. But we've seen it in New Jersey. We've seen it, at, frankly, uh, 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 parts of New York where people got, they, and, then, and then somebody like you and I wanted to be sneaky. We could go to an apartment building and harvest those ballots and have them filled out with anybody. And that's what the objection is. You have to be including an illegal. I mean, that's something else is not, I don't think, appropriate. That you're an illegal citizen or an illegal not citizen, alien in the country, you're voting. Yeah. That's what you do with the mail ballot. So I think, you know, they, the studies have shown that the, far, the fraud's pretty low. I mean, most people aren't yeah, going to do still that. But it's still there. But there could always be a possibility. And when for you them. have a fraud, you're taking the value of my vote away. That's, that's the argument. Mm-hmm. But they bought this whole thing up as if the, the post office is being destroyed. It's not. Now, we're going to have a hearing on the 24th with the, the head of the commission. Uh, he'll be attacked. But I think he'll show that nothing was being done that had been done before. And when he stopped doing what they were doing is because of the hoorah of the election. Yeah. But everything you do nowadays is political. Last thing I wanted to ask you, um, the podcast, someone told me something about, did you have a, uh, years ago, something with a hunting trap? No, it's not a, it's a trap. A trap, like a committee. It's a trap. Something in a committee. What, what, what's that about? It was Fish and Wildlife Subcommittee, uh, excuse me, Merchant Marine Committee. And a gentleman from California, Congress, in a bill to ban leg hole traps for catching fur. Okay. And for those in Alaska, you don't want a leg hole trap as you should. It was the tool that we used, I used, and most Alaskans did until we got welfare in the rural areas. They would go out and trap fur for a income of cash to do and buy goods. Um, and it was a big money maker in this state as far as fur. Even going back to the Russians, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, even recently, when right. I first came up here, 90% of the village males were out on the trap line in the winter. The mother stayed back and took care of the kids. The kids hauled the water and, and cut the wood. They all had a responsibility. That's what they did. And that's why that trap was so important to me. Then we had a hearing that banned that leg hole trap. This is a long time ago? Or? Well, it was a long time ago. I mean, it was, I think, 19, I want to say 76, 77. Okay, so long, long. And um, a guy from California, again, California, the, my nemesis. <laughs> and uh, I walked into the committee, and here was Mary Tyler Moore, and, from the TV show? Oh, you know, yes. <laughs> and, and Cleveland Emery, Emery, who was head of the Humane Society, sitting at the table witnesses to testify in favor of the trap. And she was reciting a poem such as, Oh, much how longer must they wait? These poor little animals are terrible fate. And they'd set a bunch of traps on the table. And when you get to their fate, he would put a pencil in one and it snap. Of course, the lead would fly. And then she'd keep going, and he would have a rolled-up piece of paper, and he'd put the paper and set it off, and it'd pop. And I'm looking at my members of Congress, and one of the problems we have in Congress, they're all from cities. And they don't really have any knowledge of reality and the effect upon my constituents. And I am beside myself, what can I do to get the attention? So I went back to my office, and my past wife was there with me. 
She said, well, you got a trap in your office. And I said, yeah, uh, I got a one and a half double jaw single sprung trap. And she said, well, why don't you set your trap off with your fingers? I said, well, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> but then I thought about it and I said, well, that's not a bad idea, you know? So I go in, it's my turn to testify. And um, so I said, Mr. Chairman, I set the trap. I said, Mr. Chairman, you've seen a lot of misinformation, how painful and harmful these traps are to the animals as they catch them for fur. And I'm going to dispute that. And I'm going to set this trap off with my fingers and I'm going to give my testimony with it on my fingers and prove to you that this is not as damaged as they say it is. Was Mary Tyler Moore still there? Oh yeah. And so was Cleveland Emory, you know, in the audience. And, oh my gosh. and the audience is filled. Whoa. The audience is filled with uh, humane society people. And uh, so I set it off and flung it up in the air with the chain on it. And see, I said, see, I'm here and I'm talking. Inside, I'm saying, oh, Jesus, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you had one of those like double jaw traps on Double your... jaw trapped on my hand, on my fingers, on my fingers. And I gave the whole testimony and pretty, you know, about how important it was. It took care of a lot of Alaskan rural citizens, Alaskan natives specifically, and da 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 And that's what I used to do. So I knew a little bit about it. Well, my adrenaline's running anyway. I finished my testimony and the chairman says, get this trap off your hand. And I said, okay. So I got it off my hand, put my hand in my pocket. By that time, my fingers were a little blue. <laughs> oh and uh, anyway. Um, but the crowd didn't know you were, they just thought it was normal. You were just giving your testimony. Yeah. But they did, they saw the trap on the hand, you know. They, you, you weren't like, oh, no, 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 I made the right. Anyway, I see this note go up to the sponsor of the bill. And he asked the question, oh, you know, Congressman, what size trap did you use? I said, a one and a half, double spr I mean, single sprung, double jawed trap. He said, well, what size animal do you catch on those? And I said, well, I catch mink, marten, fox, lynx, uh, usually. And he said, well, what do they weigh? And I said, well, mink maybe weigh two pounds and less maybe. And they're not a large animal. Fox weighs six, seven pounds. They're not large. People, they look larger than the fur. And um, he said, well, how much do you weigh? And I said, 245 pounds. And he said, would you be willing to put your hand on another trap? Now, I figured that... The chairman? The sponsor of the bill. And I said, yes. Because I figured the biggest trap they had around was a number four, double sprung, double jawed, number four, which is a larger trap, big trap. What are those for? Uh, they're for wolves primarily, uh, uh, lynx to some degree, mostly wolves. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking. <laughs> you didn't do that, that did No, you? I think adrenaline, and I've done it before. You can set it off or it comes across your palm, but you can't get it off. You know, but I wouldn't put your fingers there. you chop your fingers off. So I put it, I said, yes. And as soon as I said that, this kid jumped up behind me and said, would you put your hand in this? It was number 14 bear trap. I mean, it was, have you ever seen a bear trap? I've seen, yeah. They're about that big. I've seen them. And I'm thinking, oh boy. <laughs> and I looked at him and I says, is that trap operative? And he blinked. And when he blinked, I knew I had him. I said, Mr. Chairman, if that trap's operative, it's not bolted down or welded down. He's committing a felony. It's a ten, one year in jail and $10,000 fine. You never saw a trap disappear so fast in your life. <laughs> disappeared. Later on, the chairman says, is that the law? I says, I don't know, but he didn't know either. <laughs> and the last of the story, the last of the story, oh which I, the last of the story, which I loved was that about two weeks later, I get this letter. It says, 
addressed to me, Congressman Young, yeah, yeah, yeah. No return address, and I open it up. That's when we open our own mail, by the way. Now it's opened by a group of, because it may have anthrax in yeah. it. So I open it up, and there's a, it's the form is is uh, folded with the yellow legal pad over it, a piece of paper. And I pulled up the yellow paper, and it says, what a hypocrite. And I said, well, this ought to be fun. And then I open up the form, and it's an insurance form for a 22,000 wild-caught mink coat. The insurer was the sponsor of the bill. Oh. <laughs> so I saw him a little later, and I said, uh, I hope your wife enjoys her fur coat. He says, she doesn't have a fur coat. You know how we feel about that. And I says, she doesn't have one, but I know somebody does have one. He turned as white as his paper. It was his mistress. I never oh, heard, boy. I never heard another word from him on anything concerning So someone had sent you that mail yeah. and said, this is the mist. Wow. Yeah, he's a hypocrite, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but what anyway, a, that was. What a story. But the, the, Jeff, the, the, the point of the story, as far as I'm concerned, it was, I was relatively new in my job. Uh, but I made an impression on everybody because everybody said, that crazy so-and-so really believes in what he's doing to put his hand in that trap. Yeah, you know, and and it worked. I mean, I didn't think about it at that time, but it worked. Everybody in that committee started thinking about what I was saying. This is not at all on that same level. But when the marijuana thing passed in fourteen, the next year they had a hearing, and I remember it was the I think it was a judiciary hearing, House Judiciary, and yeah. they they had passed around a big bag of I mean a big pound of like, like the one you had yeah. in that picture. They passed it around the committee, so you know Alaska. I mean, just it was just months before illegal, and then you're passing a big bag of weed around this committee and. And Gabrielle Ledoux and a few people were holding it like, oh, this this smells interesting, you know? <laughs> Similar thing where everybody you know, could get, get, get the cameras. Yeah, it was, well, it was fun. Anyway. Well, Congressman, I really appreciate you coming back and doing the podcast. You have great stories. You've been around a long time, and, and uh, it's always good talking to you. One, one thing, Jeff, just keep in mind that, I, that I, um, uh, I hope people will study a little bit of history and what I've been able to do for the state. I like, I don't, it's hard for me to brag about it, but, you know, I passed more laws than any other congressman in the history signed by presidents. Really? That's a big issue. And people don't recognize 90% of those laws are Alaskan laws. They right. affect communities, individuals, uh, the state. And it's because I try to find out, listen to the people, and try to solve a problem. Most of these are problems that shouldn't have to be solved by the Congress, but sometimes it's the only way you can do it. And it probably makes me feel better when I do something like that and all the publicity you see in the paper that I'm able to help that person. It's like that private bill. That, to me, that's probably one of my highlights because I'm helping somebody. Well, I think of all the people, you know, who deserve help, she, she's great. I got to know her and her husband and kids and just a, that's an example of really, like you said, helping somebody. And, so. it, and that's what I make. If I can get it done, good for me. Well, appreciate your time, Congressman. Uh, it's been great. Thank your wife's you. here too. I'm a big fan of her. Hi, Ann. Um, Daniel, obviously, yeah. he's your kind of the, the minder. Right? <laughs> <laughs> thank All you, right, Congressman. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. Uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.